Hey there, you're listening to The Voice Work, a podcast featuring interviews and discussions and classes for those curious about getting to know their voice. I'm your host, Lisa Pears. Let's get started. My guest today is Michael Grant. We worked together at Vancouver Film School and he went off to teach and perform in Shanghai and now is back in Vancouver. We recently reconnected. Hey, Michael Grant, welcome to the podcast of The Voice Work. I'm so happy you could join me. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> How are you uh, doing in the COVID time? Mm, a very busy time for me. I, I live with family, and so there's a new baby and a three-year-old and lots of noise and lots of work. One of the interesting sort of tie-ins would be my brand-new granddaughter finding a voice. And it's been so enlightening for me watching. Uh, for example, sometimes, you know, I'm just hanging out with her and she's, you know, starting to see things in her world and then having reactions to them. And, you know, I'm always so um, curious about what actually happens inside a child's brain because we put our thought on top of the child and, oh, look, they're having so much fun. Well, we don't know what they're doing at all. But what I am starting to notice is that she's experimenting with her voice and so these sounds are coming out and then she gets shocked by her own sound so she must feel it she must have whatever the the impulse is and then she feels the voice come out and then she hears it as well and then sometimes she's shocked you know and her eyes just get so big and what was that and so then i i try to gently echo that sound you know and then to see if she'll make some more of it and we're, we sort of play like that so it's got it's got me curious about the origin of our identity through voice and and this communication thing and she, and at two months old mm. she is communicating and some of it is instinctual her stomach hurts because she's hungry i would imagine is the type of thing and the cry comes out but now she is calling out to us when she wants attention and using voice to do that. And so it's just, you know, for somebody who has worked with voice for many years, it's just so interesting to see a brand new one coming into the world and the person discovering themselves through their sound because she doesn't yet have hand-eye coordination and the ability to grasp and all those things that come a bit later. But the first thing that's really happening is her connection to us through her eyes, but through her voice. And I've just found that so exciting. That's beautiful. So yeah. that leads me to my first question for you okay. is um, how has teaching voice allowed you to grow as a, as a person? I, I think uh, of the many things that I have taught, it's, it's the one thing that brought me closer to myself and a- asking and starting to answer some of those questions of what is a voice Um and how intimate a relationship we can have with our own voice once it's sort of realized that it's not something outside of me, that my voice is me and that this need to communicate. So this, this discovery of mine of watching the baby reacting to her own voice and then using her voice to contact us to get contact, to get physical contact or to get food or to get attention is the beginning of that whole process. You know, I've worked with kids for decades now and the relationship to voice seems to be cut off at some point. It's like it becomes something that we can't trust and we can't 
we don't we don't want it to betray us so we start shutting off our connection to it and our discovery of it so i'm always thrilled when a student comes to a class that's voice related and they start to understand that there is more to learn and and more to reaccept about self and and a new way to communicate a new way to understand self through that voice so how have have i grown as a person because i at my age and doing it for very many, many years, I'm still curious. My mentors showed me about curiosity, about voice, and I'm more curious about that process than any other acting process or physical movement process. It's sort of a deeper understanding of humanity, I guess. So it's something that makes you feel a little bit more, I guess, uh, alive? Absolutely. And curious about the possibility that there's more. What what do I not know yet? I don't even know what I don't know. Right. And sometimes it's because I'm teaching that those questions get to be flushed out in my life through the work with other people. Right. You know, I feel like I grow so much because I introduce the basically the same old work in one sense to new people. And it's their new approach to receiving it that changes me. Right. So my experience of the work shifts so much because this new person who I've never met before has a whole different way of seeing the world. Right. And that shifts shifts the work for me. Interesting. It's almost like through others, you get to see an aspect or an aspect of you is brought, brought out. And that's something I never expected when I started on this journey of becoming a teacher. Yeah. I just thought it's important to share the sacredness of the information because that's how I was taught. My, my teachers made it seem like it was all very sacred stuff. But what, what's been so interesting with my teachers too, is that they have shifted so much Mm -hmm. over these 40 odd years or whatever, that they are such students in the work, even though they are masters of it. And I love that possibility. Yeah. I always think of it like it takes me to the edge of who I am. It takes me to the edge of what I know. And then I have to reach back for things that I learned along the way to help me with where I'm at now or what conversation I'm in. It's uh, yeah. But I love that being taken to the edge of what I know um, in class. I've also been fortunate enough over these decades to have students who are now, you know, adults and grown up in their lives and doing whatever their careers are, some in acting, some not but that they contact me 10 and 15 years after being introduced to that work Mm. and thank me for helping them find a greater connection to themselves in whatever path they chose. And I think that's remarkable that something like voice work and breath work has helped so many people to find a, a, a deeper connection with self and a clearer direction in their life and that they're, they see that connection and then they, they're willing to tell me about it, you know, years and years later. Right. And yeah, as they evolve as a human being, it's something, the knowledge and the seeds continue to grow and evolve and, and make different. Absolutely. Things. And then back to your question, how does that, how has that allowed me to grow as a person? Well, getting that feedback all those years later sort of adds a, a deeper sense of validity to the purpose of the work is that it doesn't have to be about acting. And that has always been my thing in the different schools I've worked at. 
people were always so passionate that this is about the acting, this is about the craft. And I never felt so strongly that way about it. I felt it was more important that the person grow as a being. And if mm -hmm. it helps you in the direction of being a performer, that's great, but it doesn't yeah. matter to me. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. So I want to ask you another question because I know you're exploring teaching online right now. I, I am, yes. And I'd love to hear about what you're discovering and what some of the challenges uh, and benefits are in teaching voice online because I'm not 100% convinced that it's the best um, avenue for exploration and I uh, I'm, have some assumptions about its limitations. Um, but what do you, so uh, do you think the voice practice is applicable to an online platform? Well, I'm, I'm a few weeks into doing it now. And as you know, our classes, the classes that I'm doing are very short. They're only one hour classes. I'm not used to that system. I'm used to minimum three hour system. And when I was teaching those one hour classes live, um, I felt a little stymied sometimes because it was like I had more to share or I wanted a deeper experience for the class and that's just not always possible in the one hour so when we shifted to teaching online I, I had a lot of trepidation about it because I thought I, I think some of this stuff is not going to work because I'm so used to being almost hand over hand physical with people in in that practice or in that class so I jumped in and made some changes and started to look at the work a little bit differently and using that platform where you've got nine squares on on your laptop and you know I wear glasses now I'm I'm not a kid anymore so I'm like looking into this little square trying to <laughs> see if the person is holding tension in their jaw so I find I wouldn't say that that's a limitation but I would say it's like a it's a challenge for me to really see the people and you know there's not a conformity of the equipment that people use or the space that they use so some rooms are echoey and some rooms are fine and some people use great lighting and some people don't use any lighting and you know there's one kid he always goes like this oh how do i do it? like this <laughs> he never shows his face and i always say oh excuse me so and so could you shift your camera so that I could see your oh, face. And just pause for a second just to let the listeners know what Michael did just there. His oh, camera <laughs> his camera uh, showed just his abdomen. So he's having difficulty <laughs> seeing in his face or anything. He's getting very so, embodied. <laughs> so I, I would ask the student to, you know, shift their camera. And then when we do work on a mat down on the floor, I ask everyone to shift their cameras so that I can see them because they just drop onto the floor and then they disappear and all I see right. is their bedroom wall or, you know, their bed or something. <laughs> the cat walks so, by. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, and there's been a few of the, the mom walks in or the roommate walks in or, you know, those kind of little silly things. But is it applicable online? This work is definitely applicable online if, if there are some shifts in what the exercise will be that day in how the person creates a space for themselves to feel safe. Some people, you know, we have worked hard as classroom teachers to create safe environments for people to then play enough to discover some possibilities. But some of these people are living with a roommate or living with a significant other or with their families and they don't feel safe to use their voice in those places. And I encourage the, the student to, 
work hard to create a space that they do feel safe enough to be a bit silly and, and try some things and give yourself some physical space. So that's another challenge. But is it applicable? Yes, with some modifications. And is, are there uh, challenges? Absolutely. In this, in this last class, when it came to um, a group vocalization exercise, and I'm used to being in a room and being able to walk through the people and hear what's happening with tension and breath. Well, now I'm looking at these little squares and the way the, this meeting uh, application works is that when one person's making a sound, they're sort of outlined and the other ones aren't. Um, but this poor program was flicking on and on and on and on and all these different voices working at one time and the sound that came out was frightening. And I couldn't tell what anyone was doing. So I let them go on for a little bit. And then I said, oh, let's just sit down and talk about <laughs> how we can modify this. Because I'm having to think on the spot because I haven't done it before in this way. So I'm trying some things that I would normally do in a classroom and then finding the people look bored because they don't connect in the same way. Or they can't hear or they can't really see what I'm doing. So... Yeah, it's, it's fraught with challenges, but I, I believe we can get through them because we're going to have to. So we'll yeah, find inventive ways, inventive ways to share the information. But boy, do I miss being with people alive in the room. I mean, that's one of the reasons that's kept me at this work for all of these decades is, is the interaction with people. And, yeah. well, and all the information you can receive from just watching a person standing and breathing or walking uh it it just shows how for me how the voice is truly embodied whether there's an awareness there or not but right. they're speaking even when they're not speaking like how they hold their shoulders or uh, whether the breath is coming up into their chest or um, whether it's low and relaxed or whether their jaws tight while they're yes. trying to do an exercise and you can feel that lockness. And uh, then... Yeah, so that's sort of what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm leaning right into my laptop to try and see right. because right. The, each square is pretty small. Yeah. You know, when you have that many people, I guess, it, you know, like right now, it's just you and I, and we're happening to do this on video, even though you're, you're only putting out the, the vocal part. But I can see you fairly well because you're the only one on my screen. Yeah. Right? So it's different when, when that's not possible. Right. Lovely. Um, so I have, I'm, I'm going to lead us into, uh, I'm going to call it the amuse-bouche. <laughs> <laughs> If you were to um, suggest one exploration for a beginner, uh, curious voice practitioner, what would you ask them to sample and be, um, I guess, amused by? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh one of the exercises that, that I share with people that I've, I've always enjoyed watching them discover things is, is, uh, about activation of the diaphragm. Mm. Um, had a very interesting, yeah. pardon me. Uh, I had a very in interesting experience in the class the other day. I found 
on YouTube some videos of what the diaphragm looks like when it's working. Because for most people, and I would assume, not too many people know much about the diaphragm, what it looks like, where it is, what it does. Uh, but to actually see it functioning and then to start to do an exercise after you've seen that video to start to feel how it works, um, mm. I think is really interesting and fun. So it's really simple. Okay. The person just lays on the floor with their knees bent and their feet on the floor, hip width apart. Okay, let's um, take our time and go a little slow. So I'm getting down on the floor. I'm lying yeah. with my back comfortable. So generally, I would put a yoga mat or a quilt on the floor, and I would roll up the end of the mat a, a couple of times just so I'd have a little cushion under my head so my head doesn't feel like it's dropping back, creating nice. tension on my throat. Right, and you can use um, a book or a pillow. Yeah, a book. And you just want to be careful that you don't use something too stuffed or too thick that lifts your head up and then creates more tension okay great. so you know just a small lift of the head or cushion under the head and then so yeah laying comfortably arms by your sides initially knees bent feet are hip width apart feet just relaxed on the floor and some people are uncomfortable in that position because of lower back strain or pain uh, so if you can put a large cushion under the knee so you're not having to hold them up if you have that lower back tension, because you always want to have that little bit of um, the gap where your fingers could reach underneath the lower back if you put your fingers behind yourself, that natural curve of the lower part of the spine. Um, from there, uh, closing the eyes, I always recommend that the mouth be open for breath. A lot of people are nose breathers, and because it's less rude than that concept of having the mouth open, but we're in a safe space you've created for yourself. So that mouth open and the tongue forward and easy in the mouth and feeling the cool of the breath, the inhale coming across your teeth and tongue and following that coolness down into the body as it exchanges into warmth. Then one, one hand with fingertips gently on the center of chest. The oh, other hand the sternum there on the on sternum. The and one hand a few centimeters below your belly button, that okay. lower part of the belly. And if you are a person that generally has tightness in the hips, you can allow the knees to rock a few centimeters in each direction. You want to be careful you don't get really physical with that and really rock the legs from side to side or rock those knees from side to side because that will create the need for lower stomach core muscles to engage. And then you're going to be working against the exercise. So just a gentle movement, a couple of centimeters in each direction to help remind our body to release the pelvic area. So finger on the center of chest sternum area to feel the breath of an inhale and an exhale, the, the rising and expanding of the chest, the falling of the chest. And then the fingers below the belly button to be aware of any engagement of that lower stomach muscle in breath. And so for this exercise, we do not want to engage that lower muscle. So every time you would feel any engagement of that lower stomach muscle on an exhale, you would release that breath and take a new inspiration, a new inhale, and then the exhale. And then the, the way to get the diaphragm to exercise or to even feel what it is 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 a simple panting so the breath's on a 
So that panting of a certain number, you don't have to be accurate with how many you do, but that at the end of the breath, you allow sort of a sigh of relief. That Without engaging that lower stomach muscle on that sigh of relief at the end of that panted breath. And it's that simple. So to create a practice of then gently starting to count how many of those pants that there are and allow that count to grow, not with force, but with relaxation, with ease, a sense of ease in the breath system. And the diaphragm starts to become activated by that panting. And then you shift that once you've got the hang of that part. You shift it to a, a non-sounded la-la-la in the mouth. So in, instead of the pant, now I'm going And the very interesting thing to note is near the end of being able to produce any of those la-la-las, what's happening with that lower stomach muscle? Are you engaging? Okay. And what this is training the body to do is to have a full exhale. Mm. strengthen the diaphragm first we're activating it and then strengthening it so that we have a full exhale which then allows some space for a natural large inhale or whatever size of inhale we need but we're not hanging on to any residual amount of carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. right which then could leach into through the lungs and into other processes of the body so voice actors uh, stage actors people who sing who often feel like they're out of breath because they're not really finishing the exhale. They're building a breath on top of a breath on top of a breath, kind of what I'm actually doing right now and feeling like I'm out of breath Mm. as I haven't been exhaling because I'm so busy and excited about getting my point across. (laughs) I know, isn't it? So that is a practice that I have found has been really helpful for people right at the beginning of training to activate a sensation and an awareness of what diaphragm is and then putting it together with the la 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 exercise to train the diaphragm to fully expel the exhale without using ancillary extra you know this extra lower core muscle hmm. let the diaphragm do its own work and it becomes an easy release it, it becomes back to natural breath we have we have often repeated um, traumas as a young person where we learn to hold breath and it becomes an emotional response around our breath and so then we are training ourselves to not fully release our breath or fully allow the inspiration to happen so it's a it's an exercise that offers many levels of experience and if you continue to do it throughout your career as a learner um, it just it, it grows and expands in terms of usefulness. Well, and I think it um, allows people to, over time, let go more and more, so that mm-hmm. they have a, a, a an evolving um, understanding of what it's like to be released and to be uh, present in the moment without additional or, or unnecessary tension. I always love watching the student discover that they didn't realize how much tension that they carried just to be a person. Mm -hmm. So they do some of these exercises and they feel a sense of openness, softness, 
uh, and realize that, oh, maybe I don't have to live that other way. Mm. I think that was a very strong lesson that one of my wonderful teachers taught me was, do you really need what you believe you need to, to just be here? And never mind when you're trying to perform. So that's why I like to not have all of the work always about a goal toward performance because I, as a student, needed to learn about me first before I could learn to share that through another character in a performance mm, instead of bringing some of my crappy habits to my, <laughs> to my characters, you know. Lovely, Michael. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, a lovely way for me to start my day too, thinking about all of those things. Thank you. I love it. I appreciate, I appreciate the fact that you are creating this form, forum for those of us who like to share the information and also for those who are really interested in seeing what, where this work might take them. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. I'm very excited for the process. I couldn't be happier uh, talking to people who love the work. It just like yeah. fills me with such joy. So uh, the more we can share that about, uh, that's a win-win. Wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity to share my, my ideas today. Yay. I'm going to stop recording now. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell someone and you can contact me and let me know what you think and what you'd be interested in hearing about at thevoicework.com. 